Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Operation Climate, the podcast made by youth for youth, where we talk about climate solutions with cool people and learn about how we as young people and students can take action in the climate movement. Today's episode is one that is produced by some of our 2022 high school interns. Raphael, Avani, and Maliha created this episode all about e-waste and making it more eco-friendly. Let's get into it. According to the EPA, e-waste represents 2% of America's trash and landfills, but it equals 70% of overall toxic waste. And according to the American Association for the Advancement of Science, it takes roughly 500 pounds of fossil fuels, 50 pounds of chemicals, and 1.5 tons of water to manufacture one computer and monitor. And if we estimate that 1 million computers and monitors are manufactured every day, that'll be 500 million pounds of fossil fuels depleted, 50 million chemicals released, and 1.5 million tons of water used up in one day. Now, I don't know about you, but in the midst of an e-waste dumping crisis, we at Operation Climate don't feel comfortable that our electronics contribute that much to our environmental problems. Mercury, lead, and cadmium are some toxic metals that are in nearly all electronics, even ones we use every day. And this is alarming considering that the waste has already and will continue to contaminate our drinking water, harming human, animal health, and destroying plant life. In this episode, we're going to tackle what makes our electronics harmful to the environment and the process society has made to make them recyclable, biodegradable, and eco-friendly. To learn and discuss this issue, we consult Dr. Aaron Franklin. I'm a professor at Duke University in electrical and computer engineering and chemistry departments. I run a research lab that focuses on the use of new types of electronic materials, usually called nanomaterials, and their potential to enable a new future of electronics. So first, let's give you some background context on Dr. Franklin's research and why we wanted him to be a part of this episode. So Dr. Franklin and his lab at Duke recently caused quite a stir because they developed the world's very first fully recyclable printed electronic component. Electronics are very difficult to recycle because the silicon chips that they use can't be recycled. But Dr. Franklin's work developed a recyclable electronic component using this material called nanocellulose, which can be recovered and reused without losing much of its performance variability. So we'll hear from Dr. Franklin about his work, the implications that it has on solving the e-waste problem, and next steps we need to take to make electronics more eco-friendly. Dr. Franklin, you're part of a team that uses nanomaterials to build recyclable electronics. Can you please tell us about this development? Absolutely, Raphael. Thanks for that question. The, the work that we did on recyclable electronics is built out of a, a, a bigger project space that we've spent years uh, studying, which is the use of nanomaterials for printing electronics. Okay, pause. Nanomaterials. What is that? Nanomaterials are little tiny materials between 1 to 100 nanometers. Scientists and engineers care about nanomaterials because a lot of the time when things get that small, they display really useful properties that you wouldn't see if the substance was at a bigger scale. In this episode, we'll be talking about nanocellulose. So that's basically cellulose that's made up of nano-sized fibers. So when you think about 
uh, electronics that you interface with on a daily basis on a laptop or a self, uh, smartphone or other device, it's all driven by computational chips or components that are derived from silicon, which is the leading semiconductor material uh, and has revolutionized the world. It continues to enable uh, virtually everything we do from a technological perspective. But there are limits to silicon. And one of the environmentally impactful in limits that it, it is currently facing is to be able to manufacture electronic components from silicon in, in a, a manner that is environmentally conscious. So it takes a lot of harsh chemicals and gases and high energy processes to develop any type of electronic technology from silicon and, and any other traditional semiconductor materials. So for printed electronics, our goals, and these are, these are long-term big picture goals, are that we could develop materials and printing techniques so that we can produce some types of electronics that are able to either replace currently based silicon components or offer new types of functionality into areas that silicon and related traditional materials can't reach. Well, the reason why printing is important is because it allows us to process these materials without the use of uh, a lot of harsh uh, chemicals or toxic gases and a much lower energy overall manufacturing technique. So basically, instead of going with the traditional manufacturing route, which releases a lot of toxic waste, we can use nanomaterials to print electronics. This way, we can avoid the harmful production plant process while making better electronics overall. And to be more specific about what we were able to discover is that we could use a new type of material when it comes to printed dielectrics, which is this nanocellulose that you asked about. Okay, pause. Dielectrics. What are they? Dielectrics are materials that don't allow electricity to flow. They're also called insulators. And you actually have all interacted with nanocellulose, believe it or not. It's, it's one of the more common extracts from wood that we make paper and, and other products from. So it's a, it's a very natural occurring uh, extract of plant fibrils that uh, people have used for years for biodegradable applications but never as an ink that prints into an electronic material, in this case, a dielectric. And so we developed that ink. And you can think about it just a little liquid vial uh, containing this, this lanocellulose material uh, in water. And we combined the printing of that material with the printing of these other carbon-based electronic materials that we study, carbon nanotubes, graphene, we printed all those materials into what's known as a transistor, a thin film transistor structure. Okay, pause. Thin film transistors. What are those? Transistors are one of the basic building blocks of modern electronics. Your computer, your phone, your TV, all these, they are made up of transistors. They control the flow of electricity in a device. So thin film transistors are what they sound like. They're thin relative to the plane of the device. Not only did the devices work, but we were able to then extract after using them, all of those materials, the carbon nanotubes and the graphene, uh, the crystal nanocellulose, 
and bring them back into their original concentrations as an ink and reuse them. So you imagine when we think of electronics recycling these days, it's really targeted at extracting one or two target elements that are able to be reclaimed. But if, if we were to make electronics out of what we demonstrated on the, in the lab, it would be composed of all components that could actually be reclaimed and reused in subsequent devices. So what makes nanocellulose better? Uh, one of the things that makes it better is we discovered in that study that a printed layer of nanocellulose behaves as what's called an, an ionic dielectric. That means that if you think of a basic capacitor for, for an electrical component, a capacitor is uh, two plates that are separated by some insulator. So the plates are conductive. And if I, I put a voltage across those plates, then the insulator keeps the electrical charge, the electrons from traveling from one plate to the other. They want to, but the, the insulator keeps them from doing that. And so instead of, of allowing for charge to flow in what would be a current, like that would be in a resistor, we'll say, instead it just blocks the charge and it builds up on each of the plates. And so positive charge on one plate, negative charge on the other plate. And, and the way that we represent the performance of that type of device is with capacitor, as it's essentially storing that charge. A printed layer of nanocellulose acts like a dam wall that can hold electricity in, but not allow it to keep flowing. The electricity is positive on one side of the wall and negative on the other. So imagine that the inside of the dam wall is building up pressure, but perfectly able to hold it and prevent the electricity from flowing through. In engineering terms, a capacitor is like the wall. So a good insulator is one that, that doesn't allow charge to leak by, it doesn't let it get through, and it offers a high capacitance, meaning a lot of charge is able to be built up for versus the amount of voltage that's applied. And what makes this printed nanocellulose layer so good compared to others is that it, compared to other printed dielectrics, it behaves in a way that allows the capacitance to be extremely high. So even though the layer of printed material is pretty thick, it's like several micrometers in thickness, that when you apply a voltage on it, it doesn't let charge leak through because you don't want that, but it does allow ions that are within this crystalline nanocellulose film to migrate through the film and form a layer immediately against the semiconductor of the transistor channel. So that makes, makes it for to have a, a really high electric field right at that interface and correspondingly, a really high capacitance, even though it's a printed, water-based, very thick dielectric. So that, that offers a lot of new opportunities that uh, you can't really get to with, with traditional dielectric materials. The only components of this ink are water, nanocellulose, and salt, sodium chloride, which is just an ion additive to help uh, promote that ionic conduction that I mentioned within the material. So it's a, it's a very straightforward uh, high and completely biodegradable option in that sphere. Uh, from a from a big picture, I can give you one very concrete example of where there could be a significant impact on electronic waste in the environment 
if you were to use a printed thin film transistor technology compared to incumbent technology. So our conversation here, we're all looking at a display. Most uh, people in the world look at electronic displays a, a an embarrassingly high number of hours per day, right? And anytime you are looking at a display, you are looking at, at light that is either being generated or in some form fashioned for you to see as controlled by a thin film transistor backplane. So unlike your, your silicon-based computing chips that are relatively small, really high power, generate a lot of heat, uh, the thin film transistors that make up the switching matrix to control your display, they are spread across the entire display. So however large your display is, there are thin film transistors to control each pixel in that display. And so the challenge with thin film transistor manufacturing is to make it on a large substrate. The reason that's relevant for environmental impacts is because the larger that you have to make these manufacturing systems for these large substrates to create these devices, which are typically made of a mixture of silicon and some type of rare earth metal oxide material, uh, it just takes a lot of these high temperature, um, uh, heavy gas, you know, greenhouse gas emitting uh, type of, of core chemicals that have major environmental ramifications. In fact, the EPA has flagged display manufacturing in particular as a major issue to address with respect to the e-waste challenge that that not just what is produced and wasted eventually, but but even at the production level, what the actual cost is that you don't get a, a positive uh, you know life cycle out of the what you create there. So that specific example, since we're all looking at displays, displays are everywhere. You can imagine that you know if you were to replace the the backplane of thin film transistors that drive a display with a printed recyclable technology. So if you replace that backplane, what you gain for improvement at lowering greenhouse gas emissions in the manufacturing, all the way through to the extension of life cycle, where you could actually reclaim the entire backplane and reuse all of the constituent materials. I mean, it's, it's an enormous benefit when it comes to where that impact is. Okay, let's recap. Your TV screen, phone screen, computer screen, all use components called transistors that control what you see on your screen. Imagine you have a 60-inch flat screen TV. You've got more pixels on your screen, so you need more transistors. Manufacturing these silicon-based transistors is environmentally harmful in many ways. So if we could replace these transistors with biodegradable, recyclable ones, like nanocellulose-based ones, it can have a huge environmental impact. What were some challenges in the journey to find a better material than silicon? Yeah, the, there are so many challenges. Uh, and probably the foremost one is that silicon is really, really good. It's really a great material. We've gotten we've we've gotten so good at using it in the manufacturing industry. It's it's hard to upend uh, a material that we have been able to do so very much with. And and that's true by the way of high performance computing chips as well as the thin film transistors I've been talking about. The incumbent is so good. And we've gotten so good at how to make things from it. Uh, so that would be the second uh, of the major issues. 
is that we it is it's so well established, which is different than it being good. It's good because it just it works very well and we, and we can do a lot with it. But it's also extremely well established, very tightly integrated into our entire ecosystem. And so how do you upend something that has tens to hundreds of billions of dollars in infrastructure investment into its manufacturing? and enablement. It will be a much bigger ordeal to actually upend uh, the entire sector or you know, even starting with niche applications to, to develop a, a manufacturing level technology that can upend that. What do you think it would take to introduce this nanocellulose to a larger scale? So it, it will definitely take more both scientific and engineering level research and development activity. Inserted collaborative extensive effort is required. So that, that's the biggest thing is, is to see enough emphasis placed towards exploring this concept so that you can chip away at, at many of those outstanding issues and actually develop into something. So it'll take awareness and hype that all of us can build to allow the government and other labs to take it seriously and dive deeper into its capabilities. Imagine there's unlimited funding for your research and interest research related to environmental friendly electronic component alternatives. What do you hope would come out of that and what should the world look like in the e-waste realm? Uh, if there were unlimited funding for the for the research direction of of printed recyclable electronics, there would be a a widespread effort of looking into different printing techniques. While that core science around the printing techniques and exploring the materials that you can print is happening, it would all be happening with close collaborative connection to relevant companies in the industry and their own R&D efforts. So as things are, are developed, they're able to be piloted on test lines and prototyped. And so that there's a seamless transition of innovation where you know there's a ton of ideas. You know, that's the foundational piece. There's thousands of ideas all being explored and, and it would be very seamlessly connected to a pipeline of piloting, prototyping, and ultimately ramping up into a technology. That type of ecosystem simply doesn't exist. It's gated by limitation in funding and to be completely frank, by a whole lot of subjective bias about what one person might think matters versus another. I mean, I, ha I have to say just really briefly, you know, I don't know how much you followed the, uh, the development of uh, the COVID vaccine. mRNA vaccines that was developed at Pfizer is one of the first. I mean, there's a ton of history there that most people don't realize, regardless of how you feel about uh, the effectiveness or nature of the vaccines. I mean, they came in at a point when it was of great need and, and virtually everyone recognized that. And it was a miracle. They developed them as fast as they did. So, I mean, th those two things are pretty much fact. But the reality is that technology that technology dated back 10, 15 years before by the same researchers, uh, Caitlin Carrico particularly, who no one would fund. And she was at a lab, uh, you know, working out of Penn up in Pennsylvania, at the University of Pennsylvania. And, and she was nearly completely dried up of funding. And she'd write proposal after proposal about making mRNA a carrier for delivering important types of uh, therapeutics and, and, you know, with the potential of vaccines and whatnot. 
and, and people say, no, it'll never work. No, it's a terrible idea. No, you know, someone, some tried that. It'll never work. And, and, and she spent years just, just barely scraping by in that environment where people wouldn't give her the time of day. Just the general sense, the biases that existed, the way people interpreted things. And she eventually basically was chased out of academia because of the lack of ability at funding and went to Germany and joined, uh, uh, you know, relatively successful biopharma company called Pfizer, where she spent years developing at a company what was not being supported in the academic realm. And, uh, and I'm sure someone metaphorically knocked on her door when the pandemic was uh, beginning. And it was like, hey, I've got something that I think is going to work for this, right? So you know, why did it take that? I mean, I, I, it's funny because we all look at that and we're like, we'll probably make a movie out of it and she should get a Nobel Prize, I think, and, and other things. But, but, uh, but we're, we're actually celebrating something that's truly awful. Like it is awful that Caitlin Carrico had to go through all of that, that, that there was not space and support for her idea to be able to push that forward. So, you know, it's an equally amazing and, uh, and, and heroic story, and it's, and it's also an awful one. So, all in all, we have a problem with e-waste dumping due to the heavy metals and the non-degradable polymers which make up our electronics. To fight this, we would need to find new environmentally sustainable materials. And, as talked about by Dr. Franklin, nanocellulose is a great material due to its capability to hold electricity well and degrade but we'll need to raise awareness and hype to encourage labs to research more on it and produce more electronics with nanocellulose. To learn more about Dr. Franklin's research, you can visit franklin.pratt.duke.edu. So, here's some homework for you. Start talking about nanocellulose more with your friends, family, and neighbors. Post about it and do anything you can do to make sure someone hears about it. Because to improve our world and have more eco-friendly electronics, we would need to get more research, investment, and passion. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Operation Climate. Make sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss another episode. For a full transcript of this episode and links that you can explore to learn more about this topic that we covered today, head to our website at bit.ly slash Operation Climate Podcast. To stay updated about other Operation Climate things, follow us on our socials. We are at Operation Climate on Instagram and at Operation Climate on TikTok. Also, we want to hear from you. So give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That would be amazing. We love hearing from our listeners. And if you have any questions, comments, or just want to chat with a member from the Operation Climate team, feel free to send us a DM on Instagram or email us at operationclimatepodcast at gmail.com. Hope to see you next time. Bye.